1: To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss.
2: Hi, I'm Yanko Tipsarovic and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast.
3: So it's back to Wimbledon again, and this time for the Olympics. The typical green backdrops have been replaced by purple substitutes. The players will be wearing anything other than all white. But some things don't change. Roger Federer and Serena Williams will be the favourites for the title. In our exclusive interview, we talk to the world number eight, Janko Tipsarevic. Well, Catherine's chat with Janko Tipsarevic is coming up here on the Tennis Podcast. And in it, he talks about which player he finds most difficult to face out of Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic. So that'll be well worth listening to. I'm fascinated to find out who he regards as really the the, the most difficult of, of all of them because I think probably depending on who you speak to, which player you speak to, you're probably going to get a different answer. Uh, so many players will tell you it's about it's styles that make matches and there are, are so many different examples over the years of players who've struggled against certain Players, I remember Richard krychik saying he had a terrible time against Jim Courier. We've seen head-to-heads where Wayne Ferreira couldn't, could barely win a set against Andre in ten matches. Roger Federer, pretty much against uh, about half the tour. You can probably say that about as well. But different players, different styles. You'll be hearing from Yanko Tipsarich, the world number eight, who'll tell you all about his most difficult foe here on the tennis podcast very soon. But first, I think we better have a little bit of chat about the Olympics because. That's what's capturing the imagination at the moment. The main draw is about to get underway. It's the, we're recording this on the day of the opening ceremony at the Olympics, and uh, and it's going to be fascinating to see what happens at the Olympics this year. Of course, it's going to be played at Wimbledon. We're back there where we were a few weeks ago when Roger Federer lifted the title yet again. And and really, I mean, it's 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 a source of much debate, isn't it, Catherine, about whether the Olympics should should even be uh, or tennis should be part of the Olympics. I, I, I can see the argument, but I think it's as a tennis fan, it's fantastic to see all of these guys together. And uh, and, and I don't know what you what your thoughts are on that.
1: Definitely, I think the argument that um, <clears throat> that Olympic gold needs to be the the pinnacle of the sport, or else it devalues the Olympics and and the sport. I think that is quite a powerful argument and one that is difficult to to contest. However, I also think that. Every new sport that's joined the Olympics, it has taken a number of years to grow and to really find its feet. And I do think this time around, there has been a noticeable um, leap, uh, jump, in um, in the level of interest in tennis in the Olympics. You know, you've got eight, eight flag bearers uh, that are tennis players this year compared to two four years ago in Beijing. I think that's pretty significant. Um, and I do think, you know, certainly for Roger Federer, I think Olympic gold is a major priority for him. I think he'd take Olympic yeah. gold over a US Open this year. Um, you know, I don't necessarily think he'd have taken it over a Wimbledon, but I do think it's up there for him and for a lot of the other players. Um so I think it it's I think it's justifying its place in the Olympics, perhaps for the first time this this time around, but you know, it does take a while for for sports to bed in in the Olympics.
3: Yeah, I, I think for Federer, really, it is in many ways the missing link, isn't it, for for his um, for his career? I mean, he's won so much. I mean, I remember that one of the first major matches Roger Federer played was the the Olympics in Sydney in two thousand, and I, and I vividly remember him reaching the, the bronze medal match i mean he was only a teenager at that stage only sort of 18 19 years of age and he lost to tommy haas to lose the chance to go into the gold medal match and then he played arno di pascal oh, in man. the uh, the bronze medal match and uh, and di pascal ended up beating him in that match and i remember federer was just just Totally inconsolable after that, and and um, the thought that he's gone through two subsequent Olympics without winning the Olympic singles gold is is quite surprising. I remember he lost to Thomas you in 04 mm. and then he lost again in 2008 as well. I think I think he might have lost to James Blake. Didn't he did. He, he did. I, 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 and and then, but then of course. You know, he regards his doubles triumph with with Stanislas Vavrinka as one of the real highlights of his career, doesn't he? Yeah,
1: and if he could get a singles, uh, if he could get, he, if he could get a singles Olympic title, he would have won over on Rafa because then he'd have singles and doubles gold. Which of course Rafa's got the uh, the singles yes. gold from from Beijing. Have you heard about um, Federer stepping aside to give Vavrinka uh, the chance to uh, be the frag bearer this year for Switzerland? It's a nice little story.
3: Oh right! No, I hadn't heard that. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, Federer's had the, been the flag bearer um, the last two Olympics, Athens and Beijing, and sort of, of course, for Switzerland, he's going to be the obvious choice every time. And they offered it to him this year, and he said, uh, "No, um, I want to give someone else the chance." in Stanislas That's a lovely
3: touch, actually. I, I, I really, I really respect mm. that. Absolutely, that's a a great story. Um, And of course, uh, they'll be joining forces again in the doubles this time around. I mean, you know, the the Olympics can throw up some fantastic stories, can't it? Because, I mean, who'd have thought that sort of Eight years ago, Nicolas Massou would have won both singles and doubles gold. Joined up with Fernando Gonzalez to win the doubles, beat everybody before him in the singles. And I mean, you know, he was able to dine out on that for years, wasn't he? After that, I mean, he, every time anybody would introduce him, he was he was Olympic gold medalist, Nicolas Massu. I mean, you know, the guy can retire tomorrow and still be happy mm, with that performance. Made and him I, a and hero, I know Mark in Chile. Rosset, yeah, I mean, and Mark rosset has got 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 one over on Federer yeah, at the that's because he true. he's a singles gold medalist uh, from Switzerland um, from 1992, all the way back there, 20 years ago. So some wonderful uh, wonderful stories that can be can be crowned um, at the Olympics. Um, and and really looking at the draw, it's it's a fascinating draw. And but it's it's been. Preempted by the, the sad news about Rafael Nadal, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Not not altogether surprising, um, following following what happened at Wimbledon, but still very disappointing. I wonder if him already having an Olympic gold had any bet. You know, if he didn't already have that, are oh, his knees bad enough that he would, would still be giving it a go um, if he didn't already have the Olympic gold? I don't know. Um, it'll be interesting to see, following the Olympics, how he is on the... On the American hard courts, because obviously that's the most punishing surface um, in terms of um, Rafa's knees and everything. So I think that will be an interesting one. He's, as always, he's being he's not letting on. He's not saying much about the extent of um, the extent of the injury. Um, so I think I think he has
3: to be selective, doesn't mm. he? I think that's the bottom line. Is that that you know I think he's got plenty of years left in those mm. knees, but I think at the same time you know he can't play every tournament the way he plays it and play every week you just you just can't do that and um, and I think he's had to be he's had to make a decision and he's he's done that a few times over the course of his career and I think I think it's quite important that people don't get too alarmist about it mm. because let's be honest there's been, there have been enough examples where we've thought oh you know maybe this is the the start of the decline yeah. and frankly he's come out and made everybody look stupid well, he's, because he's he's still extraordinary he sat
1: out wimbledon 2009 didn't he because of knee problems and then came back and won it in 2010 so um absolutely no no cause for alarm i don't think but obviously sad not to not to be seeing him here
3: yes it is it is let's have, let's have a little look at the draw um a couple of the ones that uh, that really catch the eye certainly as a second round potential matchup between Andy Roddick and Novak Djokovic Absolutely, yeah. um down there in the bottom half of the draw i mean you know i think i think anybody that follows the sport will know that andy roddick isn't going to have that many years left in him and uh, and and i think he 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 was a bit deflated following Wimbledon Mm. I think he did he did all the right things winning the tournament in the lead up in Eastbourne Um, but it didn't work out for him against David Ferrer although he had a great start but you know the format favours him I think and the format favours a couple of players Mm. best of three sets I mean it's a big difference
1: I do think that one will be hopefully if they both make it through will be fascinating they're both fiercely patriotic aren't they they're both players to whom Davis Cup has been incredibly significant throughout their careers um and with Roddick I you just sort of get the feeling not that he's keen to retire but just that he retirement is definitely on the horizon but there's just a bit of unfinished business there you know he just needs something he just needs a
3: uh, he's not done yet is he's, he? not, he's not he just need,
1: you know an olympic gold or is something like that you know a crowning achievement um, not that he's been an underachievement, underachiever in his career but obviously he had so much success early on and and there's been a lot of frustrations for him you know, particularly at Wimbledon and you do just feel that he's, he's looking for something like, and as you say, it, it, with the format really giving him a boost this, you know, he's going to be looking at this thinking just maybe, you know
3: yeah, absolutely I, I noticed uh, Andy Murray starts against Vavrinka, uh, the man we were discussing earlier today That's, that could be an easier start, couldn't it? Yeah. And of course uh, the last man he played on, on that centre court at Wimbledon was another Swiss, a man by the name of Federer who I think really has to go in as the favourite
1: Absolutely, especially over, over three sets um, world number one again of course on, on grass um, you, can't, you can't look beyond Roger Federer, no way um, no, I mean, no. uh, tough draw for Murray, as we know. After Wimbledon, is pretty much meaningless. Um, he's yes, <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. So um, I don't think he's going. I to think be, it, I uh, think he's
3: going. I think we could we could very easily have the same finalists, couldn't we? I, I mean, I think I think Djokovic fans would be right to argue ag- against that. I mean, I think it's very easy to say, "Oh, Djokovic lost one match um, against Federer, and therefore." is isn't a contender because he very much is and, and I mean as you say he's a fiercely patriotic man I think he'll actually play better mm. under the flag of Serbia nationally like that than he would even for himself I think that's you know we only have to look at the way he performed at the Davis Cup a couple of years ago and and on that subject of course we'll be speaking to his compatriot Janko Tipsaric in this uh, edition of the Tennis Podcast too who just uh, rose to the occasion so well with his compatriot and and they they certainly did play their best tennis uh, while playing for the flag. Let's let's have a quick prediction. Who's going to win the uh, the men's and the women's uh, tournaments at the Olympics, Catherine?
1: Uh, I think that Federer will win the men's um, and I'm predicting the same final as at Wimbledon. Women's... Can can you, uh, I've, I've been foolish not to pick Serena in the recent past, so uh, perhaps I should uh, cut my losses and pick her for this one. How about you?
3: <laughs> right, well, now, now you're putting the pressure on, because now I've really got to go with something different, otherwise <laughs> it's going to be boring, isn't it? But no, I mean, I am going to go, I'm going to go with Federer to win the title as well. I mean, it's just so hard to look past him. Um, and I am going to go for a finalist against him oh goodness me it's so difficult so difficult I'm gonna go for Djokovic I think Djokovic will come through that bottom half of the draw um and then in the women's draw yeah I mean Serena's up against y- Yelena Yankovic in the first round it's not easy but if she plays her best tennis, she's the best player in the world. It's yeah. it's what, what, what I said that. a couple of weeks ago. And even when she lost the first round of the French Open. And didn't I know about that? Um, but, I mean, you know, she is the best player. It's, it's as simple as that when she's on her game. Uh, a quick word about the, the other thing to talk about is the doubles, of mm. course, at the Olympics, which I think just has such an added value, doesn't it? Mm. Um, we mentioned Federer joining forces with varenka to win the gold at in Beijing 4 years ago and there's some cracking doubles partnerships. Well, I mean the the Murray brothers are playing together and how about this this pair Roddick and Isner? Imagine if yeah. you're up against those two.
1: That's not somebody you want in the uh, in the opposite side of the draw to you is it? I mean no. Yeah, Isner really should be on on grass. Uh, he really should have had better results than he he has had. And surely in doubles, that's got to be a good... I remember when he teamed up with um, Karlovic to play doubles. That almost seemed like a practical joke, Mm. didn't it?
3: (laughs) Yes. Yes, no, it was... uh, The handshakes were funny, uh, the net with those two and whoever they played. But, I mean, I always find it interesting to see who will come out on top uh, out of the, the sort of, you know, the incredibly talented singles, top 10 players joining forces with another... And then the the double specialist teams, you know, it's 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 really probably the most interesting doubles tournament that we have, I would say, mm. uh, and anywhere the mixed doubles in the world as well. because of the that. Mixed doubles should be very yes. interesting. Yeah. one of only three. Yeah, of course, we haven't got the uh, the draw yet for that. But no, you're absolutely one right. One of
1: only three events um, in the whole of the Olympics where women uh, play against men.
3: All right, well, that's uh, that's an interesting stat. Very, very well researched. I'm Catherine. I'm, I'm a...
1: full of I'm have I have been embarrassingly swept up in the Olympic hype. I'm very excited. <laughs> I know all the stats, so there's plenty more that's where that very came good. from. I'm
3: impressed. I'm su- I'm super impressed. Um, <laughs> so and, uh, just before we get on to speaking about Yanka uh, Tutsarovic a couple of other bits of housekeeping to cover here on the tennis podcast one is uh, I'm afraid to say I, I didn't mention the victory of Johnny Marry at Wimbledon a couple of weeks ago in our previous podcast and and I just wanted to to to, to reference him because he's a lovely bloke yeah. and he's a cracking cracking serve and volley a proper old school player and what a what a story that was
1: absolutely brilliant story wasn't it I mean not that it didn't get the attention it it deserved I mean it certainly did get a lot of attention but the story on the Frederick Nielsen side as well with his grandfather being Kurt Nielsen being the last uh, the last Dane to reach a Wimbledon final I mean and Johnny Murray having to having to get, put the call into Frederick Nielsen in order to he, he needed to to tap someone up with a high enough ranking because otherwise he wouldn't have even gained entry um into wimbledon that's great fantastic story yeah and you couldn't you couldn't wish for two nicer guys to uh, to
3: win the title and the, the other one just before we speak to yanko um i wanted to to just cover off um your next trip because uh on the atp champions tour We visit uh, Belgium, don't we, for the event in Kno- Knocker Heist? Is Knocha that how Heist. I say it? It is, yes. Knocker Heist, one. absolutely. The and, and what a field it is. Yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, they have put together one heck of a great field there uh, with John McEnroe, Bjorn Borg, Goran Ivanisovic, Mats Philander, Mark Filipousis, Carlos Moyer. Crikey. That's- that is one lineup, isn't I it? I think
1: that's what they call star-studded, isn't it? It's, uh, no, it really is. Yeah, it's very interesting. They've got the separate um, Legends field, which is um, the over 45s, your McEnroe, Borgs, Verlanders, and then you've got the Champions field, which you've got Moyer and Ivanovic and Filipusis. So both categories yeah. should be ultra-competitive. Um,
3: no, it should be, absolutely. Uh, I'm really looking uh, forward it, to that one. Well, yeah, absolutely. That one takes place the 16th of of August to the 19th, and uh, we'll bring you um, uh, a few f- bits and bobs from that tournament after it's been done, and uh, let you know who won the tournament. But if you uh, if you want to follow it at all, you can go to uh, www.atpchampionstour.com. Uh, we're also on Facebook and also on Twitter at Champions Tennis, um, Catherine will be bringing you the very latest colour and inside info from, from that tournament in Belgium, 16th to the 19th of August. Uh, we've also got a new event that we've just announced on the ATB Champions Tour in Edinburgh, in Scotland so that is going to be fantastic isn't it? The Champions of Tennis will take place next June in 2013, between the 19th and the 22nd, just before Wimbledon starts, and it feels as though, almost like a final piece of the jigsaw, doesn't it, for, for tennis's blooming in Scotland, that they've managed to attract an event of that sort of stature.
1: Yeah, it certainly does. Yeah, I think that should be really exciting. Edinburgh, I've never heard anyone with a bad word to say about Edinburgh as a city, other than that um, you can't get a hotel room there. It's so popular with tourists that um, it's, hotel yes. rooms are very difficult to come by, so... Um, yeah that should be fantastic. I can't wait for that one.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, let's speak to one of the stars of the Olympics, Janko Tip Saric. The Serbian player is one of the most interesting players on the circuit, and he's enjoyed the best 18 months of his career, breaking into the world's top 10 for the first time, and as he told Catherine, it all started with Davis Cup victory in 2010. So, did he know that he was going to have such a special year? Uh, To be honest with you, it's
2: it would be like a fairy tale thing that I tell you that we did expect it, but we obviously didn't. We honestly didn't, sorry. The point was that we knew that we had the quality. Novak was obviously, I think, world number two at that point and was playing amazing. But, you know, winning Davis Cup is just a lot of matches. You need to be consistent. You need to win the singles and the doubles against huge nations at that point. When we made the bet, we didn't even know, would we play at home, will we play away? And it's obviously a big deal when you you play Davis Cup because the host can choose the surface. But, uh, you know, once we started winning, after the first two rounds, we thought, because we knew that the semis against Czech and against France, we would play at home. We were thinking that it could be a, a realistic possibility that we all shave our heads at the end of the year. It was the most emotional moment of my professional career, and my biggest success. And I'm really happy that that, you know, at least for one time in my career, I managed to win Davis Cup with my teammates.
1: And it's propelled both you and Novak to the the heights of your careers so far. Are you able to explain just why it's had such a profound effect on your your singles your singles career?
2: Uh, I don't think that the Davis Cup, like it obviously helped me to prepare better for the next season because i can just imagine losing the decisive match you know that 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 victor was playing at that time to to go to pre-season i can promise you i really wouldn't feel like practicing for at least a week but you know when you when you win an event like that you feel motivated to be even better and and to play even better but you know honestly at the beginning of the year it wasn't everything like flowers and roses for me i had a couple of early exits especially at the beginning of the year and then slowly after Miami I started playing better and obviously after winning the second round of Davis Cup that year against Sweden I just started playing amazing but in general I always 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 play good in Davis Cup because I feed off the energy that my teammates are giving me at that point and I just I love the feeling. This year and two years ago, Serbia won the World Team Cup in Dusseldorf and it's a team competition.
1: How much can you tell me about the celebrations that night, or is it all censored information?
2: You know what? I I went home with my wife first at 4.30 a.m. I was the first one to leave, so, I mean, I don't know how long did, did, did the other guys stay, but it was just amazing but I, I remember being really and extremely tired you know because having all these emotions you know on and off the court there was just so much adrenaline holding us and then just once you know the night started and obviously you know the later we we went into the night we were just feeling completely smashed no wonder I think most of us got sick the next day
1: Now, you're playing in arguably the the greatest area of men's tennis of all time. I know that's a whole debate in itself. But I wonder, as a top ten player, do you feel fortunate to be playing in such an incredible area or, or do you feel unfortunate that the competition is at such an incredibly high level, making it difficult for everybody else?
2: In my opinion, you have two stories. You have one story which is... Like, it's just simple mathematics. You have the top three, four guys. You have a certain amount of ATP points that are distributed to the players according to their results. And you have the top three, four guys taking 70% of those points, which means that the other 30% is divided. Well, I'm just guessing. Maybe it's like 40 or 50 or whatever, but the other percent is divided on on the rest of us, which means it's easier... ...for a guy to be, let's say, top 10 at this point... ...because you need to make a couple of good wins... ...a couple of breakthroughs, which is not easy, obviously... ...and you're more or less there. And then you have the, the other story, which means that... ...it's really unlikely, apart from maybe French Open... ...at least in the last couple of Grand Slams... ...that somebody apart from top four is in the semi-final. I read somewhere, I think yesterday apart from Del Potro Djokovic, Nadal or Federer won last 28 Grand Slams 29 Grand Slams
1: That would have been going back to Safin in 2005
2: I guess I, I, guess, I mean I, I don't know Sure you have surprises like I don't know Verkerk, French Open or I don't know who else but the, 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 the point is that it's really really hard to get past for somebody who, especially for me like, let's say, a year ago when I was not seeded, it's really not easy to go deep into the tournaments because you need to beat more than one Djokovic. You need to beat either Djokovic and Federer and Nadal if you consider yourself a contendant to win a Grand Slam, which is incredibly tough in this era. So it's, it kind of goes both ways.
1: And you've played, let's take those top four guys, top three, top four... Um, You've played many of them, you've played them all many times. You've got some victories over all of them. You've got a couple, at least a couple over Novak, I think. Is there one of them that you find particularly difficult to play and one that you find easier to play? I mean, what's your experience of, of playing against those guys?
2: Uh, I generally like playing against Andy and Novak. I've beaten them, them a couple of times. Because they more or less play a similar game that I do. We play clean shots from the baseline, you know? No huge weapons, no huge serves, but just playing a clean baseline game. I really don't enjoy, in general, playing Rafa because of the the amount of top speed that he's putting on the ball. And I know you should be aggressive, but... Your footwork needs to be flawless if you think of beating him. And I don't really enjoy playing Roger if he's on the run with his first serve. You know, if he's making so many free points with his first serve, which the last two or three matches he did against me, it's really putting a lot of pressure on you when you are serving to try to kind of hold your serve. So. Those are the two guys that, I mean, it's no science, you know, the guys won, I don't know how many Grand Slams, it's no science, but those two guys from the very top, I really do not enjoy playing.
1: If you had to pick one of them and a surface to play for your life, which one would you pick?
2: Uh, not to play? Which one would I which pick? Which one not would to you play? pick to play? To play. Yeah. I would like to try and play against Rafa on hard court. For your life? Uh, for my life? Yeah. <laughs> uh uh-huh. You want to win? I want to win yeah. You know, I would choose if I have to choose against the two of them I would choose to play against Rafa on hardcore because I see my chances uh, the biggest rather than even playing feather on clay I played him on clay last year and I think I got killed in straight sets Wow. so Rafa on grass is obviously very tough if I have to choose I would choose to play Rafa maybe indoor fast ice surface
1: you're, uh, people talk a lot about your interests outside of tennis. You're obviously a man with a lot of a lot of diverse interests. Do you do you find yourself wondering, you know, thinking about what your options might have been, what you what you might be doing, where you're not a, a tennis player?
2: Not. I mean, I in one part of my life, I was kind of not focused on tennis enough. I wanted to experience. almost everything that life has to offer and because of that my tennis was suffering a lot you know in order to be really good and successful in this sport your life I mean I know this sounds like strange but your life needs to be boring in a way you need to have a daily routine that you are repeating day in and day out and nothing can disrupt you in just making these repetitions especially if it's working for you the point is that i've changed for a year and a half now To i feel first of all very fortunate that as soon as i made the change the results started coming immediately you know normally it's not going that way you know normally when you decide to make a change the results come, but you need to wait. You need to work for it. In my case, I feel very lucky and fortunate that the results started coming immediately. The only way is that to to, to be successful is to put tennis as number one thing in your life. Obviously, after family and everything. But uh, to answer your question, of course, I am like every other tennis player, reading books, playing video games, watching movies. But just nothing too much that can disrupt my tennis.
1: When did you make that decision that tennis would be the number one thing?
2: After Davis Cup. After we won Davis Cup.
1: And was it just a change in your head? Or it was
2: just a change in my head, you know, because I realised, you know, before I was always playing tennis because I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the competition, I enjoyed the travelling, you know, and uh, it was something that I was good at. But to make the next step, to be top 20 or top 10 or whatever the only way is to make this change in your head to have like a not a boring life but a life which is just putting tennis as the number one thing in the world and that whatever happens you have to i'm giving a stupid example here stretch after your every practice or go to bed on time or eat good like healthy things and and that was that was the only way. And the, one of the most important things I was managing to set up goals. You know, before I was never setting up goals for myself because I thought they're putting pressure on me. But generally, I react good under pressure. I know this is not <laughs> maybe true now that I'm telling you this, and I lost seven six in the third set. But uh, generally, you need to be ready to set up goals, and you need to be ready to work for them, and work for them even more if you don't achieve them. I was. You know, a little bit of a coward in a way that I didn't want to set up goals because I didn't want to be disappointed in my head if I don't achieve them and it's not working that way
1: final question um, you've got a degree in sports management yes. I believe do you think at all about retirement and what you might do after retirement is being involved in tournament organisation that sort of thing something that interests you? I,
2: I see myself partly connected to tennis I don't You know, I'm playing tennis since I'm six, you know, and I I hope I can play until I'm 36. That's probably going to be around 30 years of my life. And I don't really feel that for the next 40, 30, 50 years of my life and I'm going to be 100% in tennis, you know. I feel that I will have a lot of experience and that... I will have tennis as a part of my life. This is something which I'm pretty sure at the moment. But currently, I don't really see myself for any reason traveling full-time as a coach, you know, but things change. You know, you maybe find a very young, talented player who has the potential to become world number one. We all love the game, so then, you know, I give it a shot. But definitely a part of my life is going to be tennis, but, you know, hopefully you know, with the family and everything, it's not going to be full time.
3: So that's Janko Tipsarovic, one of the most fascinating characters on the ATB World Tour, and a man to watch out for at the Olympics. All eyes will be on him and the rest of the players at Wimbledon with so many gold medals up for grabs. We'll be back after the Olympics to review it all, right here on The Tennis Podcast.
1: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.